millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello. And welcome to The Ghibli Attack, the podcast that leafs through the library of films from the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leder, and I've seen the lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and now I have two. So join us on our quest into the glorious world of Ghibli. Jake, you've seen the lot of them too. I have, I've seen them all. Well, I saw them all a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> well, we always no, knew seen... we were going to do these two films as well as part of these miniseries, but it's it's quite scary now. The the what's it? The Padawan has become the master. Yeah, the spreadsheet has been filled. <laughs> <laughs> we need to have a whole new spreadsheet now. Yeah, we? we got to figure out what happens next. Um, but it's been a ride, hasn't it? It really has. And we're going to bow out with Hayao Miyazaki's debut feature, The Castle of Cagliostro. All the way back in 1979, a good six years before they found the studio, years before Nauschka, years before Ponyo, Totoro, and, and all those people, we have Lupin the Third. A character I've definitely heard of and know who that person is and uh, understand that he has had a lot of spin-off things before and after this. Uh, and I'm really... I really know a lot about him. It's it's a it's a mega franchise in, yeah. in Japan. Many anime series, other features, manga by Monkey Punch, long running, and it's a bit strange in a way, isn't it, that Miyazaki's feature debut is part of this big franchise, thinking that he would become eventually one of the great original filmmakers of his gen- his or any generation. But it's uh, it's the starting point that everything else comes from. Yeah, I'm really curious to hear how on earth this all happened. That mm-hmm. we are going back to the start now and this is our second prequel and figuring out how Lupin the Third, the cast of Cagliostro, directed by Hayao Miyazaki, actually happened. Super thief Lupin pulls off a thrilling heist at a Monte Carlo casino, only to discover that the spoils are counterfeit. So he traces the fake bills to the country of Cagliostro, where an evil count is generating forged money and distributing it worldwide. With partners in tow, Lupin heads to Cagliostro, where he also finds a promise of hidden treasure and Clarice, a beautiful princess in need of rescuing from the count's dastardly clutches. Okay, Michael, 
In our previous episode, we spoke about The Little Norse Prince, 1968. Mm -hmm. It's actually been a long time since then before oh, we get to this film. Years, yeah. yeah. Let's start where we left off in the previous episode, which is when Little Norse Prince was released in 1968. It was a box office failure, and the process completely soured the crew's relationship with Toei Animation. So Miyazaki and Takahata jump ship in the early 70s. They set up their own shingle. And over the next decade, they work on increasingly high-profile, respected animation projects such as Heidi, Girl of the Alps, Future Boy Conan, Takahata directed Heidi, Miyazaki directed Future Boy Conan. They also work on the anime series of Lupin the Third, adapted from the manga by Monkey Punch, as I said. But they were brought on mid-season after the original director was fired, and they turned the series into a more family-friendly proposition. In the process, they made Lupin himself more of a happy-go-lucky, upbeat protagonist. And the results were a hit. They, they, they pulled off a quite a reboot there. So flash forward a few years and there are plans for a new feature film based on Lupin and Miyazaki is brought on board at the suggestion of the animation director for that project who is Yasuo Otsuka uh, who I, we mentioned last episode brought on Takahata for Little Norse Prince which is just a little glimpse at how powerful animation directors could be when they choose who the actual directors of the films they want to work with are. And this would then become Miyazaki's feature debut at the ripe old age of 38, which is a bit older than most of these first-time filmmakers we've talked about. Unlike Little Norse Prince, this was a smooth and quick production, seven and a half months from start to finish, with only five months of actual active production. And they say that Takahata projects are slow. What? Yeah, exactly. Where did you get that reputation from? The film was released in December 1979, grossed over 600 million Yen chalked up as a failure. It wasn't a huge success. Um, and Miyazaki wasn't really happy with his work on it. There's a quote from an interview where he says, the castle of Cagliostro was like a clearance sale of all I had done with Lupin and in my Toei days. I don't think I added anything new. You can't use a sullied middle-aged guy to create fresh work that will wow viewers. I realized I should never do this again, neither did I want to. 1980 was my year of being mired in gloom. I'd like to know what a year of being happy is like for Miyazaki. Will, yeah, <laughs> th th those the kind of quotes from him don't often pop up. I feel like every year is mired in gloom, yeah. is it not? <laughs> but Castle Gagliostro has an incredible reputation that grows over time as its influence spreads throughout the animation industry, particularly internationally. There's a very... Widespread but false rumor that Steven Spielberg saw the film and uh, at some point said that it contained one of the one of cinema's greatest car chases. And some people have in sort of taken from that and taken from the time frame that maybe he saw it and it went into inspiring parts of Indiana Jones. But there's, there's absolutely no founding for that rumor. Um, and I think it even popped up on the cover of some of the old manga UK DVDs like it's there like a quote at the top from Steven Spielberg one of the one of cinema's great car chases and bizarre how that can snowball and take hold but we do know that it had influence elsewhere and weirdly this is this might be the Miyazaki film with the most like confirmed influence and inspiration and references throughout Western animation. And let me go through a few of these. 
John Lasseter, formerly of Pixar, speaks of seeing Castle Cagliostro as a young animator and how it had a huge impact on him and his generation of fellow animators. And you see that from the 80s onwards. So John Musker and Ron Clements, the great directors of the Disney Renaissance, paid homage to the clock tower sequence at the end of this film in um, the Disney movie Basil the Great Mouse Detective. There's a sort of sequence on Big Ben at the end of that film. Likewise, there's a riff on the clock tower sequence in the Batman the Animated Series TV series in the early 90s, uh, an episode called The Clock King. And sequences in Atlantis The Lost Empire, that great forgotten late 90s animated film, uh, apparently inspired by the scenes of the flooded city in Castle Cagliostro. And even the Simpsons movie, apparently in the, the, the director's commentary of the Simpsons movie, there's a sequence where Bart is on the rooftops of the houses. Right. And the way he moves is apparently inspired by the way that Lupin would crawl across the top of the castle when he's trying to... That's great, yeah. ...find his way in. Yeah, well, we'll definitely talk about the way he moves, yeah. I think. I well. just find it really interesting that Miyazaki would go on to make these humongous films, Totoro onwards, but this is the one where we have confirmed doffs of the cat. Yeah, I think we see like references and parody mm-hmm. of the future films but we don't necessarily just see at it as a, like a humble respect mm-hmm. as we do with the influence that this would have and maybe it's the time that it landed where a new generation was coming up but it's fascinating to watch this film now as well i wonder what you made of it life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Jake, lots to chew on there. And as we've said, you're coming into a film that's part of a franchise with no knowledge of the franchise around it. Yeah, this is something that I was really intrigued about. I feel like uh, there's probably a better example than this, but like J.J. Abrams coming into Mm -hmm. Mission Impossible 3 as his first feature film. And 
now that we've seen what J.J. Abrams would do in Star Trek and Super 8 and Into Darkness and his other TV bits, now we know what to expect in a J.J. Abrams film. And we go back to Mission Impossible and we see like little bits coming through there that give us a sense of that identity, but working within a franchise that is so recognizable as well and whose characters we mm -hmm. know. Um, and in a way, that, that's quite a good training ground um, because you're, you've got the reliance of the audience coming to give you kind of some comfort in the fact that they're already going to know the characters. So you don't have to worry about that aspect of it and you can play around with other bits as mm -hmm. well. And watching this, there are bits where we see the Miyazaki that we know come through. And we spoke about this with Little No Sprints. And it's those bits that are really interesting. Yeah. But there's some stuff here that I think we don't see him ever do again that are actually really good. Right. Um, this film is really funny uh, <laughs> in a very like slapstick cartoon saturday morning tunes type way and he he wouldn't do that again and that is bart simpson running across the roofs in the simpsons movie it's that style of character animation mm -hmm. that uh lupin or i just want to say that i love how everyone says it in the film as lupin yeah. which is wonderful <laughs> maybe we should shift at this point to lupin um he moves in such a <laughs> strange way at some points he's like a plank of wood at another point he's a snake mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. brilliant um and we yeah we don't see that animate character animation from miyazaki in the latest he doesn't go as wonky ever no. again and that's a word i love to use um you can see shared dna between here and pazu in castle in the sky who i always use as a gold standard of character animation for miyazaki Th the way that he's always all over the place he's climbing up trying to run up walls and uh, scrabble about but unlike little norse prince which we talked about last episode where we said that it looks like it comes from another universe where the rules of animation the look of animation the feel of animation isn't there yet you flash forward 11 years to this film this is very much in the same industry as everything that comes later. This is recognizable. The the dogma and the tenets of what makes Japanese animation have been set by this point. And there's something very familiar and welcoming there. I I greatly enjoy this film. I think mm. that it's the sort of film that Miyazaki would later look back on and when he says that anime was a mistake and he's looking and he's, you know, smoking, uh, it's films like this. Well, you said with The Little Norse Prince that that is more like a history lesson, that you're going to get your notes to go alongside it so you can fill in the gap in your personal history of the films. And that's what you're going to that film for. Mm -hmm. you, you'd never put it on a Saturday afternoon when you're just chilling. Mm -hmm. This is that film. Yeah. It's a great way to while away an hour and a half. And it hits the ground running. It's so full of, like, personality I, you know i heard steven spielberg say that there's a car chase at the start of this film that's one of the best in history yeah when you went for a drink with him the other night that's yeah. what he said right but that car chase is is great it's all there everything that we've said about miyazaki about his love of cars his love of the way that these objects and vehicles fit together you actually see a, a car fall apart in this there's so much focus on that car chase and the gadgets and the or the nitro nitro boost that Lupin has in his little car it's really really cool and that's the thing it's this notion of cool which is what 
Miyazaki would always have trouble with later. After he makes this Nausicaa, um, Cast in the Sky, Porco Rosso, he never really makes a film that revels in the spectacle and the adventurous spirits again, and particularly guns, particularly the um, the daring do that goes into this this sort of lifestyle and experience. He wouldn't do that again. And it's quite invigorating to see all the power that he can wield as an animator and his collaborators, of course, it's not, he's not just making this himself, just put into a very simple caper movie. Yeah, and he's kind of, he's fast and loose with the rules of the world. Like, that's what's really fun. Like, it's like Mm Scooby-Doo, like the physics of it, it doesn't matter. Um, Like the car will be as big or as small as it needs to be. It can fit as much in as it needs to be. You can, like... A disguise is going to make you look exactly like someone and no one's going to question it. And you can wear a scuba suit over a normal suit. (laughs) And when you take off the scuba suit, your regular suit is going to be completely dry. I think it's in True Lies, the James Cameron film where Arnold Schwarzenegger does that, right? Maybe that was a reference to this because he's (laughs) heard that it's got one of the all-time great scuba scenes. I mean, yeah, Jim Cameron and uh, Steven Spielberg, best buds. Yeah. But what isn't? quite there yet for you i think definitely uh, a depth of character particularly within the women is uh most obvious in this one um they don't get much to do or their job is to just be cool and sexy fighting spy ladies and you compare that to everything that he would do in in the the later part of his career but then you i mean it's not like Lupin or Jigen are have that much depth to them either, mm-hmm. um, and he's maybe just focusing on this as a as a kid's adventure. They're not that worried about that. This is spectacle. This is fun, and we're not going to get bogged down in character that much. Mm-hmm. And um, his best villains, kind of well, that they're not villains. We've spoken about this. That they will live in that gray area, whereas. Certainly in the early half of this career, we said in Castle in the Sky, that's one of the irks with that, that our baddie is a baddie. And that's plain and simple. And that's the same here. I mean, this guy is a lot of fun for (laughs) sure, but it's just, here's your baddie. Yeah. What I do love about this is its genre. It's Miyazaki. Miyazaki creates his own genre as he goes on, cobbles together many traditions, many influences, inspirations, and his own worldview. In this one, it's him working within a genre which is this sort of spy pastiche caper. And you have the score, which in its own right is very influential. The music for the the, the Lupin the Third series in general, very influential, and is now for those funk head sort of vinyl collectors is quite a collector's item. But also the way that it is still obsessed with Central Europe, this sort of Liechtenstein, sort of like half Swiss, half Italy. Where Where is this country? Mm. It's kind of around just northern Italy, right? Um, the cars. Yeah, I mean, there's an autogyrocopter. Yes, of course. Which is so him, <laughs> which... Lovely. Um, we've got blue sky. We've got green fields. Yeah, and but, they're in they're in those particular tones that we want to see from them. But it's in service of a very European. Well, I say very European, but it's this sort of post North by Northwest type of um, genre where it is 
this escalation towards a central location, towards a central spectacle. You know, Basil, the great mouse detective, borrowing from the clock tower sequence as its final moment is very Hitchcockian. You know, Alfred Hitchcock, as a filmmaker, was the person who um, pioneered the idea that a thriller could resolve in some great location. And this has that castle, which is an amazing design. When that um, bridge first appears that connects the tower to the rest of the castle, it's just wonderful. And when you when you have those great panning shots where it just shows how deep the castle goes, it's a wonderful bit of design. And that is something that Miyazaki would bring to the bathhouse 20 odd years later with Spirited Away. But it's here in service of an, a, a sort of Franco-Italian heist movie. And I know you love heist movies. Do you think it works as that on the scale of something like a Mission Impossible movie? Or does it, or is it still a bit um, lower down? I, I'm, I'm going to go back to, to like a Scooby-Doo yeah. type thing. That That's what it is, an extended one of that type of mystery heist mm-hmm. stories. And that's great. Um what makes a heist film brilliant to me is that constant negotiation between the story and the audience as to who has more information, that you are constantly thinking right. one of you is ahead of the other and then you are given this little bit of information that X they don't have and vice versa. And I never really had that. I was mm-hmm. never thinking, oh gosh, I can't f- wait to figure out what's going to be in the next scene. It didn't have me like that, like I think a really great heist film does. And that's because it can be so peculiar with its gadgetry Mm -hmm. and its physics that he can instantly MacGyver himself out of any situation. So you don't necessarily have a sense of dread or worry about it. Like this guy can basically swim upstream. That is a great sequence though. Yeah, and this is that like floppy character animation that um just brilliant stuff. Um and you mentioned the clock tower as well. And that's got a feeling of modern times to it as well. Right. Uh Charlie Chaplin stuff. And that it's really rooted in in physicality, this whole film. And the the character design that he is he is thin he's slinky and you've got our our big wide jawed villain uh, he's nurturing that focus on character that we mentioned wasn't there in Little Norse Prince that it was a bit slapdash and there wasn't this connection between story and character mm-hmm. design but we absolutely get that in this one it's it's a fun one to rewatch, I think. But I, I'd love to know where this would land for you in relation to the proper Ghibli films and then Miyazaki at his full potential. Yeah, I think it's about time we move on to the leaderboard. So, Michael, we're not going to actually put this on the Ghibli leaderboard because it's not a ghibli film but if i were to push you and ask for maybe a rough spot where this one might land where do you think it might sit certainly not bottom tier i think that this has the genius and the ease of watching that 
puts it beyond the likes of the Cat Returns, Tales from Earthsea, etc. The big question for me is whether this, in the annals of Hayao Miyazaki, would this be bottom or would this actually overtake what is currently bottom in my ranking, I think your ranking as well, which is House Moving Castle. Do I prefer this to House Moving Castle? And I, I wonder if I do. I, I certainly would relish going and watching Cagliostro right now more than re-watching House Moving Castle. But it feels so weird to say that because of the 25 years between those films, standards had changed so much. And there's so much in House Moving Castle. House Moving Castle, of course, was a film that took years to create, teams and teams of animators. Cagliostro is something that Miyazaki made in five months. And by saying that, we're almost getting closer to something that Isao Takahata loves, which is he loves taking away the the sheen of animation so that you can feel the intentionality of the animator's work. And that's something that's all in Cagliastro, right? Likewise, this this is just you talking yourself into ranking it above House Moving Castle, which I, I think, think you've successfully done. I'm not going to do it lightly because I know that, that, where, that our dislike of House Moving Castle has been controversial for some listeners. But where, what would you think, Jane? Uh, I'd agree with you. you know? uh, I'd, I'd slot it in above Tales from Earthsea. For sure, uh, above ocean waves, above howls, um, and yeah, Ariati Cat Returns, those those small ones that we're not such big fans of. Um, definitely not scraping the bottom of the barrel with this one, for sure. It's a really good one to go and watch. It really is. Maybe it's overlooked a little bit because it's part of a franchise, because it's not part of that main drag of Ghibli films. Sure, m- m- maybe we're being kind on this film because of its limited ambitions. Mm. We said with Naushka, well I said with Naushka that I'd much rather watch Princess Monoki and that makes Naushka in some ways redundant in my eyes and that's just because literally three years, four years after this, Miyazaki's ambitions just grew. There is no other Miyazaki film like this one True and that's why I want to praise it and Mm -hmm. give it a slot that's above those other films I can't argue with that. And also it's really accessible. So if you haven't seen it, go yeah. and check it out. And let us know what you think because we have the Twitter account at Ghibliotech and that's where you can castigate us for putting House Moving Castle so low or watch Cast- Castle Cagliostro and let us know what you think. And you can keep up with both of us on Twitter as well. Michael, you're there as at Michael J. Leader. And Jake, you are Jake H. Cunningham. This is the final episode of the miniseries though, Jake. It is. What are we going to do? Well, I suppose we've been mentioning this in a quite casual way on the podcast. Like, what do we do next? Yeah. But now we actually do need to know. So really, if you've got any suggestions, what should Ghibliotech become? Well, we've not reached the end of the track just yet. We're going to Tokyo. We've mentioned that. We'll come back. Who knows what we'll come back with, but we'll put stuff out in the podcast from that trip. Something I am very excited about. Uh, for the first time in almost two decades, I have a games console. Exactly. So who knows how we might use that games console. And of course, Christmas is coming up. We had such fun last Christmas getting Steph in the studio and having quizzes and carols and so on. Gifts. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've got to do that. Steph is the uh, the Gomon, I think, for oh, us, really? isn't she? Like, if you are, you are Lupin, and you have the anti-tank rifle. Yeah, I'm Jigen, yeah, scouting you out, <laughs> defending you from afar. Steph comes in with her 
samurai sword. Yeah, and she'll <laughs> she'll cut a man in two, but and we won't even see the blade come out. What a wonderful way to celebrate Christmas, Jake. <laughs> but anyway, until then, you can keep in touch with us at Ghibliotech. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back soon. Bibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. Our music is made by Anthony Ng, our artwork is by Sophie Moe, and Jamie Maisner is our audio wizard. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Harold McShill, and Steph Watts. That's me. Hi, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through the credits. We mentioned earlier that we couldn't find any concrete proof that Spielberg even saw, let alone was inspired by the castle of Cagliostro. But there is a connection between the film and the director. In The Goonies, which was produced by Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment Company, there's a scene at an arcade, and you can clearly see a cabinet for the game Cliffhanger, and that's the Laserdisc video game that adapts and redubs sequences lifted from the castle of Cagliostro. So there you have it. Spielberg and Lupin together at last. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.